Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get started with today's episode, we just wanted to let you know that if you are interested in trying audiobooks or have been eyeing an Audible membership, you can get two free audiobooks when you sign up for a free trial at bookriot.com slash audible. Most free trials for Audible only give you one download with your 30-day trial, but we are giving you two. And audiobooks are a great way to work more reading into your life, whether it's during your commute or while you're cooking or while you're at the gym or whatever. So go to bookriot.com slash audible to sign up for your free trial and get two free audiobooks. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 47 and we are recording on February 21st. I'm Jen Northington and I'm here with Sharifa Williams and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we are talking about SFF featuring matriarchal societies. Yay! We've had this one on the agenda for forever. We really have. I think that in my brain, I thought we must have talked about it already, but we had not. <laughs> Just like space <laughs> opera. Know. Surely we did this. <laughs> it's, so, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is so us. Like, of course yes. we covered it, but no, we had not. Alas. <laughs> and it turned out that I had not read a lot of books that involved. Oh, well, yeah, I have things to say about that, too. Okay, so. we will get to that. Mm-hmm. We will get we will. Uh, but before we start talking about SFF news, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is An Affair of Poisons by Addie Thorley. She's a deadly poisoner. He's a prince born out of wedlock. They are sworn enemies, yet they form a tenuous pact to unite the commoners and former nobility against the Shadow Society. But can a rebellion built on mistrust ever hope to succeed? After Mirabelle helps to poison King Louis the fifteenth, uh, the fourteenth, sorry, she is forced to see the Shadow Society in a horrifying new light. Not heroes of the people, but murderers, herself included. Joss is more kitchen boy than Phil de France, but when the Shadow Society assassinates the king, he must become the prince he was never meant to be. So, if that sounds like your jam. If you like poisons, <laughs> we, <laughs> who doesn't, who like, doesn't poisons? like poisons? You should definitely check out An Affair of Poisons by Addie Thorley. And thanks so much for sponsoring the show. We should do a poisoners show, actually. We absolutely should. Let's put that on our list because I was I'm already thinking of books. <laughs> As one does. As one does. Um, But let's talk about some news first. And I think I want to get right into some timely news, which is the Nebula finalists, which were very recently announced. Um, I think it was only a couple days ago, actually. And I was really excited to look through the list as usual. It feels like Nebula and Hugo season is upon us like all the time. So I'm always like disoriented. I was like, didn't this already happen? But no, it didn't. (laughs) So all of the nominees were announced. It's very exciting. These are some really great lists. Um, And the award ceremony is going to be on May 18th. So we won't find out the winners until then. But for instance, for the novel uh, category, 
We have The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cole, The Poppy War, which I heard so many good things about. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I knew you you mentioned it before, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also Blackfish City, Spinning Silver, which I personally love by Naomi Novik, Uh, Witchmark. I also heard great things about that. Love that. that. (laughs) You've read so Mm -hmm. many of these. I know I did good this year. That's awesome. Trail of Lightning, Rebecca Rowanhorse. That's on my shelf still. Um, and then we have, of course, the novella category, which has Fire Ant, the Black God's Drums. I love yeah. that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got that book from you, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I sent you my copy. I forgot I, I did that. I didn't that's even right. thank you. That's how grateful I am. <laughs> thank you, Jen, for sending that one. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> and then a favorite, Aliette de Baudard, uh, with the Team Master and the mm-hmm. Detective. I'm not going to read all of the names on this list. Uh, you should definitely check it out. But there are so many good ones on here. And as usual, these lists always remind me to like check out some books that I may have missed uh, last year. And there are a lot of other categories which are really interesting. It's always fascinating to see what's listed under. For instance, there's game writing, uh, which has Black Mirror Bandersnatch, which Mm -hmm. is totally kind of a new format uh, as far as like game writing goes, because this is a Netflix thing. So that's really interesting and probably some good news for them as they get sued. (laughs) (laughs) Good call. That's what we mean. Uh, But, uh, and then of course there's, there's Dirty Computer by Janelle Monae. Did you see that? That's so yes. cool. Yes, it's. I know it's under the Ray Bradbury Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation, which just makes my soul so happy. I knew so it happy. Would. Uh, so, what do you think mm-hmm. about this list overall? I think we're both pretty happy with it. Did you have any thoughts? No, it's good. I was also looking at the Andre Norton Award, which is for YA mm-hmm. sci-fi and fantasy, and that was another pretty uh like I not, I want to say predictable, but I was not super surprised by any of the names on there. Children of Blood and Bone is in there, Arushan the End of Time, Tess of the Road by Rachel Hartman, Dread Nation by Justina Ireland, former book writer and a bunch of others. Um so this felt I don't know if it's just because I've done a better job of keeping up or if I think it's probably just because I've done a better job of keeping up, actually. There's no or. It's just I've done a better job. And so I felt like, oh, I know these books. I I, There were only a couple that I was like, I have not even heard of this. So That's really good. I feel like last year we were a little bit confused with some of them. Oh, yeah. We were both just like, (laughs) hmm, these these sound interesting. We've improved. I like Sig. We have (laughs) I can't. <laughs> I would like to credit the regularity of this podcast for that, to be perfectly That's true. honest. It's really hard not to pay attention when you kind of have to show up with some information every other week. Exactly. exactly. I will say that novelette is always a category where I feel like I'm kind of out of the loop. And maybe that's my next yeah. my next project is to be more in the loop with novelettes. Novelette and short story, I'm never up on. Yeah. I mean, there, I recognize a couple of the names in there, but I haven't read any of them. So. Yeah, that's true. I, I should add that to yeah. my list, too. That's all right. We, it's progress, not perfection. We're, <laughs> that'll be next year's goal. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you should definitely check out this full list because um, if you want to add things to your TBR, 
which may fall on you one day, but you know, there's never, <laughs> there's never not an opportunity to add more books to the list. You should definitely check out this list because it's a solid one. Um, so yeah, Nebula Awards. Nice. Um, I want to talk about this piece on how to survive on Game of Thrones because it cracks me up when <laughs> people apply scientific research methods to like pop culture media. Um, so there were some epidemiology researchers who decided to look at all 67 episodes of Game of Thrones and do a study on their character deaths and their chances of survival. And they actually published this study in an academic journal called Inquiry Epidemiology. Um, epidemiology being the study of diseases, usually, I thought. I perhaps am wrong about that. Um but so so they discovered that the probability of a character dying within an hour of being introduced on screen was 14%. That seems oh. really high to me. But then I was thinking too about like Star Trek and the red shirts, like how how many if you counted all the red shirt deaths, like what's the death percentage on those folks because they also probably died within an hour of being introduced. So um so that was interesting. Uh, violent deaths were unsurprisingly the most common kind of way to die um uh, and then yeah and then the article goes into sort of how they like did their criteria and what the rubrics were for death versus survival when you have characters who are coming back to life uh etc cetera, etc cetera. um and then they give they calculated odds for who they think has the best chance of survival um Sansa and Arya are on the top of the list and uh Tyrion and Jon Snow also apparently towards the top in terms of the researchers calculations for who might make it to the end uh so it's very interesting i just you know this is the kind of nerdery i really love is like when you when you mash up actual science of some kind with a totally fictional thing and see what happens so i was very entertained and amused uh by this piece which you know is all I can ask for these days <laughs> out of news. <laughs> I really did not even have to look at the article to know that I would just die. I would be one of the characters who's like, nobody notices is trampled by a horse or something <laughs> like absolutely an extra. Uh, but I, I'm not surprised. I just recently saw like a shirt that said, something like do, I, I will not get attached to any Game of Thrones characters yeah. <laughs> because it's just like impossible this world is impossible to live in and it also just reminds me most like uh adult science fiction and fantasy books I would never ever want to live in those worlds no never never realistically if we think about it I mean Game of Thrones of course takes place like you know in a time period that it it's based along the lines of like an actual time period. I don't ever want to go back in time at all and live mm -hmm. back in the past, but this is definitely one of those situations where I'm just like, there's so much horror going on in these yeah. stories. Like any George R. R. Martin book, I basically don't want to live in it because I'm dead. I feel like most of my favorite science fiction and fantasy, it's true. I would not want to go to there. Like, yeah. I can't, I'm sitting here looking at my bookshelf. I feel like we talked about this on a previous show, too, and I can't I'm remember sure. what I said. Because I feel like I maybe found one. Like, there's some I might visit, 
But only like if with an armed escort kind of the situation. That's right. I think we were like, that was when we were asking questions from like the lit chat deck. Oh, and there that's was right. a question like, where would you visit? Right. And yeah, like, I think it, it did take some real critical thinking about yeah. like, oh, I love this book. Wait, I don't, I don't want to visit that place. Right. Though. I don't want to be there though. I don't want to be there. <laughs> I want to be cozy in the comfort of the modern era where I have things like medicine yes. and I don't have to be a uh, highborn royalty in order to have any chance of survival. Right. I mean, although in this reality, there well, are some situations as well. So, <laughs> no one is safe ever. Sad face. That's true. <laughs> this got dark. I'm sorry. This got really dark. We're like laughing and talking about how everybody's you going know. to die in fantasy. Well, what else can you do? I thought that was a fascinating study as well. And I'm tickled as well that people make this into their career. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, let's talk about, I, I want to talk about this bot. Oh, yes. The okay. Bot? Let's talk about the bot. <laughs> because this is like a twofold SFF story. First of all, it involves a bot, an AI, and then it's a bot writing Lord of the Rings, basically fanfic, which is totally fascinating. But you really have to get into this article because when you first come across it, it's like, oh my goodness, the AI is going to take over. They're going to write all the books and imprison us. But then when you read it, so this AI, um, they have, the scientists have this machine learning technology. They've created this AI that can create snippets of story from or scenarios and scenes from books that are already in existence. So they feed in some data to this bot and the bot creates these original scenes. Um, and one of the scenes it created was a scene from the Lord of the Rings. So the scientists fed in this da- the, the data that they had and it was just like a very brief snippet Um, And then it also had like, I forgot what it was, like 40 gigs of data as well in its brain. Yeah, they gave it a prompt and then uh, let it go. Yeah. And so it made up this scene from Lord of the Rings. And I was like, oh, my goodness. It's so it was so good. They wanted to hide the, you know, the material that they used to create this AI. And then I actually read. What? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I read what it, it wrote and I was like snort laughing. I <laughs> three paragraphs down. It was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good, y'all. Like it's they're like, oh, this is a totally readable vignette written in precisely the same style. It's like no, Absolutely. no, no, and no. Tolkien did not write this. <laughs> like there's no ugh, I just yeah, it's really not good at all. <laughs> Tolkien is and I have free. serious side eye. Yeah, I have side eye for the people who are like, remember, this is all written by a bot. I'm reading it. I'm like, yep, I remember. <laughs> it's not hard to remember. Yes, come on, people. I, I know. 100% recommend you read this. It's it's short <laughs> and it's totally worth it, especially like after you read the sensationalism surrounding it. Yes. Like, it's just so funny. It lit up my life <laughs> when I read it because it was just, it, it's so good. 
And I feel okay about saying that because I don't think I'm going to hurt the bot's feelings. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry, bot. (laughs) You will not be writing my books in the future. Um, Nope. I don't even know if I should bother reading a section of it, but I, how about, okay. Like one paragraph. I'll never forget it, cried Gimli, who had been in the thick of the battle but hadn't taken part in it. One of the wounded orcs he had carried off He was the only one of the survivors who remained uninjured. We'll keep the memory of that day of evil and the war with it alive as long as we live, my friends. And then it just repeats the same phrases (laughs) after that. Like, what is this? (laughs) It's it's nothing. It's a nothing burger to steal a phrase from the main podcast. Like, this is the biggest nothing burger I've seen in a while. It's a nothing (laughs) burger. Oh, this spot. I love it so much. Oh, this this bot. Yeah, so we'll see if they improve upon the bot. Maybe they think that this is as good (laughs) as it gets. Maybe we should send them some other books to compare and contrast so we can, like, calm down a little about their AI. (laughs) But that's my story about the bot who wrote Lord of the Rings fanfic. Uh, should we do one more quick one? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so just a quick one. I think some people will be very happy to hear this. Um, we've been talking about this adaptation for a while. L- Why the Last Man, which is by Brian K. Vaughn, who also is the writer of Saga, um, got optioned a long time, long, long time ago. <laughs> to the point where you may have forgotten about it. But um, FX is going to pick it up and it will start running in or premiere rather in 2020. So like this one is actually coming to your screen in hopefully the next year. Uh, and there is a piece from a little while back that has some scenes uh, from the from the like behind the scenes as it were um and it is very exciting indeed to see this coming to life i actually much prefer saga mm. to why the last man but there are some amazing characters in why and i'm curious to see how they will come to the screen and the casting looks pretty solid so Oh, and one of the showrunners from American Gods, and or excuse me, one of the showrunners is from American Gods, and one is from Luke Cage. Mm. So that sort of bodes well. Those shows have been doing a good job. Yeah. So, uh, so yes. Yeah, so you might actually see Why the Last Man in the next year or so, 2020, coming to FX. So you can get excited. Or don't get too excited, but you can get a little excited. <laughs> Always the caveat with these adaptations. I know. <laughs> Um, hurry up and wait yeah (laughs) awesome well i guess we can eventually get into our recommendations yes first though i shall tell you about our second sponsor which is the blood spell by cj redwine and this is a dark and romantic retelling of cinderella and the fourth standalone novel in the raven spire series about blue delacour she has her life all planned out hide the forbidden magic in her blood and use her powers to help her city but then her father is murdered and a cruel and powerful woman claims custody of her And so one wrong move could mean her doom. And the only person who can help is, of course, a person she has 
has loathed since childhood, the charming Prince Kellen. And then Blue and Kellen discover something that could threaten the entire kingdom. So there's a forbidden romance, there's rising evil, there's a heroine trying to save what she loves. It's all very intense. Um, and as I said, this is the fourth standalone in CJ Redwine's series of retellings. Each of them is a dark and deadly twist on a classic fairy tale. So I know we have a lot of Twisted Fairy Tale retelling fans out there. So this is definitely one you're going to want to check out and the rest of them if you haven't already. And... <clears throat> Excuse me. And The Blood Spell is available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. So thank you again to Epic Reads for sponsoring this show. And again, that was the, excuse me, The Blood Spell by C.J. Redwine. Okay, so matriarchal societies in sci-fi fantasy. This sounds on the surface like the easiest prompt and yet somehow very difficult and I fell down a couple internet rabbit holes because I was like surely I have read more than this and just can't remember but the thing I discovered about my own reading in this subgenre is that I've read a ton of sci-fi that has this but almost Mm -hmm. no fantasy. That's true. And I, it's so interesting. I was like, why is it that I can rattle off the top of my head like five sci-fi novels that have this in it, but like fantasy, I was like digging, digging, digging. And it wasn't even, I just like, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I've read a bunch that I didn't like. Like I just, it was really hard to come up with any that I had read. And and so that was really interesting. Did you have I a similar did. And you know what? I ran into a lot of like science fiction classics mm-hmm. that had matriarchal societies. And I'm not sure, like maybe this is just an untapped area for fantasy because I also had the same problem. Yes. And I'm wondering if it's maybe because, you know, well, fantasy explores societal and political things. I don't know what yeah, it is. Right. It's very confusing. And actually, I know there are a few YA novels that do this that I haven't read yet. Um, but again, mostly sci-fi, not fantasy. So it does just seem... I don't know. It's very strange to me that that should be true. And perhaps we are just missing them. So, you know, if you're listening and you have some title suggestions, hit us up at sffyatbookriot.com because I'd be really curious um, to see some... Yeah. I don't know. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. And um, if you're a writer, you yeah. can definitely tap into this. Get on that. Field. <laughs> Although also, you know, that being said, like I've read a lot of the sci-fi classics that have matriarchies in them, and I would not recommend all of them. Like, yeah, there's, there's, I, a, there's, it's really easy to go wrong with this premise, and so it really is. Maybe it does need like a con- or a modern, a contemporary mind to approach it. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. It's interesting to think about. Um, so, but I did think of a fantasy novel that I do recommend, and that has a matriarchal society in it. And it is The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, which is the first book in the Inheritance trilogy by our beloved N.K. Jemisin. Um, and yeah, most of this book does not actually take place in the matriarchal society in question. It takes place in this, you know, sort of capital city castle where a uh, family that is very 
Game of Thrones and that they're ready to like do murder at all times um, have been in power for a long time. They also have subjugated some deities to do their bidding. And the uh, current reigning monarch is pitting his successors against each other. Um, and the protagonist, Yena, is from like a far flung matriarchal society in the far north. And her mother was the current monarch's daughter. And she has been raised completely outside of this political situation. She never expected to be summoned, you know, to do, to have anything to do with the throne. She had no you know, aspirations or anything like that. No desire to be part of that situation. But this aging monarch is like, I'm going to make things interesting for my, you know, my heirs who think they have it so easy and summons her to the city of Sky and is like, you are now in the running, and a, which paints a giant target on her back. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, the matriarchal society that Yana comes from is a warrior society. Um, and, you know, you get these glimpses of her upbringing and the rites of passage that she had to go through. And it's pretty rough, actually. Um, and she's very, you know, competent and smart. It's just that she was raised in this society that is much more concerned with survival and with physical prowess than with the, you know, machinations of politics. So she's chucked into this situation where she has to, like, catch up real quick um, and try not to die in the process. And there's, you know, gods running around, you know, making everything really complicated. And there's this great big sort of battle for the control of the spirit of the world. And there's a lot going on. And I love this series. Um, I think... It's so hard to pick a favorite of N.K. Jemison's. This was mm -hmm. not the first one I read, but it's and it's like, I don't know. It's it, they're always moving around in my personal, you know, ranking system. But I do love this series. And um, and I think this is a really this is actually a really interesting place to start reading her uh, if you haven't already, because it is like a, you know, if you love that kind of political backstabbery plot, you will get that uh, from this book. And um, but it's, of course, much more diverse than something like Game of Thrones. It has a much more sort of uh, global feel to it. There's people from all over this kingdom involved, all different kinds of, you know, sort of fictional ethnicities, but still lots of different kinds of representation. And, uh, and yeah, and so Yana is interesting. And I think, I think it is interesting because there's a lot of, like I said earlier, there's, it's really easy to go wrong or to do something really sort of cliche with a matriarchal society. And the one that we just get these glimpses of is much more interesting than I think, you know, those cliches would be. So I appreciate as always that NK Jemison is thinking outside the box. Um, and I wish, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, I, wouldn't it be great if there was more? Like, the mm. other two books in this trilogy don't really go into that space. But I was like, oh, what if there was, like, a short story or something from... spin-off. Yeah, spin-off series. I would take it. I know she's busy writing other things, but I'm just saying. <laughs> of course. That would be really great. Um, so, yeah, so there's... It's not... I mean, it's not... Like, if you're just looking for a straight-up book that is 100% matriarchal society, this is not that book. But I do think we get... And interesting glimpses of the premise along with a much bigger story. So that is The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemison. You can always consider yourself in good hands when you've got yeah. an N.K. Jemison book covering any topic, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay, well, my, uh, my fantasy pick is Court of Fives. And this I found after much searching 
and it was completely under my radar. It's a YA fantasy by Kate Elliott. Um, and it sounded like this was a really popular book in 2015, but I completely missed it. So I'm telling you all about it in case you did too. Uh, but this is a really epic world building book uh, set around this titular court of fives. And the fives is this dangerous sport. It's like a test of athleticism and courage and strategy. Uh, I don't know if anyone else has seen that show Ninja Warrior. But oh, that's, yes. Yeah, I <laughs> I figured you had. Uh, yeah, that's how I pictured it, which was totally like I had the whole course in my mind. Uh, but it's set in this sort of coliseum. And the court of fives is this sort of popular spectator sport that exists in this Roman Egyptian world Elliot builds. And in this world, there are patrons and there are commoners. And patrons are this upper class society and commoners are the lower class. And there's this huge class divide to the point that patrons can't marry commoners. And one of the big distinctions between the two classes is skin color. So it's apparent that commoners who are Athenians have darker skin. And another distinction thematically is that Athenians are born into a matriarchal society where uh, for instance, I thought this was a really good point. Like uh, men have to wait for the woman to speak first in a conversation. So I thought that was fascinating. And I really love that point. And the patron society, which rules the lives of um, the main character, who's Jessamy, the patron so- society rules her family. It's very patriarchal. And there's definitely like a compare and contrast between these two societies the commoners and the patrons and what that patriarchal society looks like um, compared to what the Athenians have. So Jessamy is one of four sisters in this society that values sons, among other things. Um, And she's also mixed heritage with a patron father and an Athenian mother. And because her mother is Athenian, her parents aren't married, but they live as a kind of married couple. They're loyal to each other at the outset. And the relationship between the mother and father and also the parents and their daughters is really complicated by this uh, class distinction and by the way the outside world views children of mixed heritage as well as people they consider commoners. Uh, And for instance, there are certain traits that immediately make the patron class frown on Jessamy and her sisters and distinctions that are made between the sisters individually where, for instance, Amaya, one of the sisters, takes after her patron father. She has lighter skin and straighter hair. And then Jessamy takes after her mother. And because of this, like there are these apparent physical differences, they're both treated very differently. Uh, Amaya is called beautiful. And even though Jessamy's mother is beautiful as well, nobody really feels allowed to address that. And the commoners or the Athenians are only taken as concubines. Uh, so there's this really horrible system in place, basically. And the story's <laughs> driven. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I wonder what it could be based on. I know. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely gets the thoughts running. Um, but in terms of like the plot, there's this tragedy that falls on Jessamy's family because of this prejudice that exists among patrons and in this society. And her family ends up physically divided. Both of her parents have to start over again. 
And Jessamy is separated from everyone. She's left to fend for herself. She has to become a contender in the fives, which was initially all she wanted in life to run the fives, basically. And she made all sorts of risky maneuvers to learn the sport and become really adept at it before this tragedy struck. And now she has to remain a contender, not just because she thinks it's fun and because she wants to prove herself to herself, but for her own survival and so she can see her family again. But it happens that she's really, really good at the fives. So she has that going for her, at least. Um, and there's also a romance in this story between Jessamy and this patron boy, who's this highborn young man who sees Jessamy's skill. He also wants to run the fives. He's kind of rebellious, um, and he's intrigued by her because of her abilities. And Kelly Arcos, who's this patron kid, sees some of the wrong in the world, but because he's never lived Jessamy's experience, he exhibits some ignorance early on. Um, and I admit he kind of annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the parts where he's kind of given a cookie just for deigning to actually consider that the system is oppressive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but his character is in development. Uh, I'm just saying you might roll your eyes at him as I did when you initially meet him. But Jessamy is a great character. This is a really complex, thoughtfully crafted world. And yeah, I'm glad this theme ended up uh, helping me find this book, uh, which, by the way, is the first in a trilogy, but it can be read. This first one can be read as a standalone if you're not looking for any new series. And if you prefer to wait for a series to finish, this one is finished. So you can pick up all three books. And again, that was The Court, uh, Court of Fives by Kate Elliott. So sci-fi like we said earlier, was much easier. And I had to really think hard about what I was going to pick. But then also I didn't have to think that hard because I read this book very recently and I'm a little bit obsessed with it. Nice. Um, you know, it's Ammonite by Nicola Griffith, which came out first in 1992, y'all. Like this is not new, but I only recently read it. And I have read other books by Nicola Griffith and I was aware of this book. I just hadn't read it until very recently. And it is so interesting. And I also think, like, I said this in my review in the Swords and Spaceships newsletter, but I'll say it again for those of you who don't get it. Like, I've seen a lot in the past year of, of novels that are looking at gender from the binary perspective. Like, what if women this, all women mm. this, and then men that? And it's like, ugh. Like, I feel like we should be beyond that at this point. Um like, surely there are more interesting ways to talk about gender that also aren't reliant on this nonsensical binary that's not real um, in, you know, 2019. Like, surely we could move beyond that. I'm just not interested in that. Um, and so I went into this book being like, oh, I wonder if I like this because it's older. And it does sort of the premise of this book is that um, humanity has, you know, mastered space travel and settled far-flung worlds and one of those worlds which is colloquially colloquially ooh, i can't talk hard about one. <laughs> colloquially colloquially known as i did it <laughs> good lord it's called jeep <laughs> and um when the settlers land like centuries before the time of this book uh, uh there's a virus that kills all of the men and and most of the women, but some survive and like continue on and and build a society. But there are no men in this. They're only biological women. Um, and so it's generations later and the colony there has lost touch with the rest of humanity. And a company is now sort of trying to re, you know, 
integrate them into the rest of the galaxy, basically for a profit. Um, and they hire a woman whose name I do not know how to pronounce, so I'm going to go with Marg, but it's spelled M-A-R-G-H-E. Could be Marga, Marja, don't know. Um, and she is an anthropologist and she her presence down there is twofold she's supposed to be there to like study the situation and figure out like how this you know planet basically of just biological women has survived um and then also test out a vaccine it's an experimental vaccine that's supposed to protect the person taking it from the virus which could kill them or transform their biology depending on you know their sex um and so uh so she goes down to the planet and it, sort of everything almost immediately goes wrong. Um, and she sets off on this journey to try to find out what happened to the woman who was supposed to be her assistant um, and gets like lost and kidnapped by a tribe and, you know, all of this stuff happens. Um, and in the meantime, you're also getting the perspective of a, a soldier, a, the woman who is running the sort of military outpost on the planet. Um and there is a lot going on here. But what I love the most about this is that it's sort of by default matriarchal because all of the people on this planet are female. However, there because it's an entire planet, there's a lot of different cultures and societies that have developed. And so they all have different political structures and family structures and customs and, you know, cultures. And you get to see the main character who... Like, you know, from this anthropological perspective, looking at all of them and trying to put together the pieces of like, how did they evolve out of, you know, the humans that settled the planet? And there's some really cool stuff going on around the biology, like how they're reproducing is then linked also to how memory is passed down. And so you get these really fascinating sort of biofeedback moments and mystical mental journeys. And it's really, really fascinating. Um, and you know, Griffith has said in a foreword that I read to this book that she was really trying to push back against this idea that a matriarchal society would be all one way. Like, mm -hmm. it would either be like this very static, peaceful sort of hive mind, or it would be, you know, the Amazons, or it would be whatever. But like, women exhibit the full range of personalities and tendencies, whether that's to violence or peace, or, you know, creativity or technology or whatever like women in and of themselves exhibit the full range of humanity's tendencies. And so you would get the full range in a place that was entirely women, um, which is just like, it seems so obvious, right? I like, know. Yeah, of course. But you don't see that very often. And, uh, and so it was really refreshing. Um, and it was a really fascinating read. And I wanted to be an anthropologist. So I think that also shapes my reading of this, in fact, in a lot of ways. Like, this is exactly the kind of book that... Um, that I love to read. And it reminded me in some ways of Ursula Le Guin's work. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, Griffith is influenced by those works. Um, but yeah, it was just, it's, it is, if you like space stories and you like thinking about biology, and then you are curious about what a planet full of women might look like from an anthropologist perspective, like this is, these are all reasons to pick up this book. And there's also, oh gosh, there's like, 
like a heartbreaking note in here too about colonialism that I really appreciated. Um, so yeah, I feel like Griffith did a really bang up job with this premise and, you know, it holds up just shockingly well to my mind, considering that it was published in 92. So, uh, that is Ammonite by Nicola Griffith. That's so funny. I can't remember if we talked about this, but I was an anthropology major for a while in college. No. There must be, we must all, all science fiction readers must <laughs> just want to be anthropologists or something. I would believe it. It's funny. You know, so this now makes, this is like two for two because Amanda and I were both, I settled, I had like 16 majors my freshman year of college, but mm-hmm. I, I ended up graduating with a history degree. And Amanda, right, who I do get booked with, all also has a history degree but like you and I both also were anthropology majors for a while what a strange, so strange. I love it I love it I literally put this book on hold at my library while you were talking about yes. it it sounds so exciting <laughs> I think it. I'll be really curious to hear what you think uh, for sure once it comes out, I, I guess everybody wants it. So hopefully I get it soon. But mm. I'm definitely going to read it. I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> uh, so after all that talk about not finding any science fiction, <laughs> my next pick is science fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because I had read it and I was like, well, I have to say, I have to mention this book because it's it's perfect. It's a comic book. Um, and it's Monstrous by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. And Liu, I just recently read that. Um, that romance book by her too. Which, oh, did you? Yeah, I think I mentioned it on an early. It was your suggestion. Yes, the Delilah Dirk <laughs> yes. Uh, romance. Oh, yes, Tiger Eye, Tiger yeah. Eye. Yes, Tiger Eye. Yes. So now I have like a, a, an even fuller <laughs> feel for her storytelling, and I'm absolutely. I just love everything she does. I think, um, but I really loved this comic. This is the first work by her I came across. And when I picked it up, I was like, yes, this is for me. This world is for me. It's this um, Asia-inspired decopunk and steampunk sort of story. There are fantasy elements in it, too, which is why it's kind of hard to pin down genre-wise. Um, but it's just this really beautifully written beautifully drawn story it follows micah who's this really conflicted um very dangerous young woman she only has she has one arm uh but she's still very very dangerous she has this sort of self-assigned mission that she's on it's um to figure out her past and who she is and what happened to her mother specifically and it's really important her mother's past is really important to a lot of really powerful and mostly merciless people on either side of this war between Arcanics and the Cumea. I always say this out loud. It's spelled C-U-M-A-E-A. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, Cumea. The Arcanics are these beings who look kind of human, but they're imbued with this substance that feeds the Cumea who are in order of sorceresses. I just love all of the evil women in this comic. <laughs> I have to say, I like I'm not trying to say matriarchal societies are going to be full of evil women, but I have a particular fascination with villainous women and per in particular sorceresses. But there's something about Micah that they don't know. She has this sort of uh, strange and damaging connection with an old god, and their connection might lead to either 
the unmaking or the making of the world. And yeah, this book is really steampunk, but there are lots of like, like there are lots of familiar steampunk elements like Zeppelins and there's retro tech and that sort of thing. But it's also blended with this sort of deco punk look, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's like art deco stylings blended into this science fantasy world. Um, and I think anybody who picks up this comic will appreciate the art. It totally took my breath away. And I also thought it was really cool that the vast majority of the characters in this comic, both evil and good, are not only women, but women of color. And speaking of people writing a book to react to something, Lou said that Monstrous was her response um, to end a product of her frustration with being bombarded, bombarded by stories she's told she should be grateful for which I totally feel, mm. um, especially in science fiction and fantasy. Sometimes it gets so dominated by male voices and so many male characters. Uh, and I definitely look for books that feature mainly women. So I really appreciated this comic. And I really enjoyed that she actually took this look at this society as well. And came up with these really complicated, complex women who weren't all just good characters. And it is definitely set in a matriarchal society. So you've got that and you get tons of flawed women, which is my favorite thing. And yeah, I think everybody will enjoy it. There's a lot of interesting, strong world building involved in the book and some really great characters. I found there's a common theme in all of the books I pick up, all the comic books that are fantasy themed. Uh, that they include a talking cat, and this one has a talking <laughs> cat in it. So I think if you love talking cats, you'll also enjoy it. And there are three volumes of Monstrous out now. The last time I talked about it, I think there was um, the third one was just coming out, but three of them are out. I'm not sure how many there are going to be total, but you've got a good chunk of reading there, especially since you're probably going to be ling uh, lingering over those pages. So, so beautiful. Yeah. I yeah. know, right? I mm. would I need like a print of some of those. Oh yeah. Yeah. So again, I've been talking about Monstrous, uh, which is written by Marjorie Lu and drawn by Sanat uh Sanatakeda. And that's our show. Thank you all for listening. And if you have any matriarchal society, sci-fi, or fantasy suggestions, please do hit us up at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Really curious to hear what people's favorites are. Um, or if you have other theme suggestions or feedback, we're always happy to hear that. Speaking of which, you can also review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show, and we do love to see your notes. And you can find us on various places online. I am actually taking a social media break at the moment, but what about you Sharifa I am on Instagram you can find me at S Zainab Williams that's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams and we'll talk to you next time